Well with my soul, what a beautiful old hymn. I'm glad we could sing that together. And uh, next next week, we'll try to put out some more chairs. We, we put out 45 more chairs this last week, but I think we need some more. Amen? That's good. So yeah, absolutely. Good to see all of you. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10 in verse 17, verse 17. This is kind of a standalone message about surrender and how there are some things that in life you cannot buy. And it says in verse 17, as Jesus was staring out, was, was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not uh, testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at this, at this, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Let's pray. Father, as we come into your presence, as we open your word, May our hearts and minds be open to your spirit, your spirit to fill us, to move us, to show us what we need to do. God, we love you. We're thankful that you're always near us and that if we feel far away, as your scripture says, that we can draw nigh unto you and you will draw nigh unto us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, um, there was a show called The Biggest Loser. I believe it's still on the air today. Started watching it the first couple of seasons, and I kind of just stopped watching it. But it's a uh, it's a neat show. It's a show if you're not familiar with it. It's about um, different con- con- uh, people on the on the program contestants that uh, get together and they are working out. They're watching what they eat in an effort to lose weight, but as well they are competing for a grand prize. And whoever loses the highest body percentage of their weight in a certain period of time, uh, they, uh, they will win at the, at the end. There was a man in season nine named Michael Venetrelli, and he was the biggest loser in season nine. It's 30-something Chicago DJ, which from 526 pounds and lost 264 pounds. He lost approximately just over, just slightly over, 50% of his body weight. Literally, he came out of that show, of that program, half the man in which he was. He was. And so we see here in the Gospel of Mark, we see a man who has it all together, at least on the outside. We see a man that is young, he's rich, 
And he's a ruler. He has some power. He has some authority. Now, we call him the rich young ruler because in the book of, this story is in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew says he was young, so which means he was under the age of 40. Uh, Luke tells us he was a ruler. So, uh, and in here we see, we, we put together, he was a rich young ruler. If he had lived a day, uh, he would be wearing Italian shoes, tailored suits. His money would be invested in the best stocks. He would have his platinum credit card. He would have his own jet. I mean, this would be a guy you'd look at and go, this guy has it all together. He'd probably be making his own TikToks about how rich he was. <laughs> he probably was in great shape. He probably was in great health. He was a ruler, so he was either a magistrate or he worked in the office of the high priest. He knew the right kind of people you would want to know. This was a guy you'd want to be friends with. This was a guy who was influencing other people. People. So how did he wind up being, I guess you could say, the biggest loser? The biggest loser in the sense of not that he lost to win, but... He missed out on all that God had for him simply because he wasn't willing to give up his idol. You see, nowhere in the Bible does it, does it call money evil. It oftentimes gets misquoted. We need money. Many of you will leave after church and you'll go eat somewhere. And you're going to hand them over money, your car. You're going to have to pay for it, you know. Uh, unless you're trying to, you know, dash and run, like you're trying to get out of there. That's, that's not a good testimony. Don't, don't do that. But the Bible does say that the root of all evil is the love of money. We need money. In fact, you could say, make an argument that money was even God's idea, but the love of money. And we can take anything and, and put it in a place that only God should be. And this man, in his case, took money and put it in a place God should be, which ends up being an idol. So because the most important thing anyone will ever have in life was something he could not purchase with his money, he tried to achieve through his influence. He tried to attain it through his connections. But he didn't understand that sacrifice is the key to a relationship with Christ. This big loser could have been the biggest winner. He could have had the money. He could have had this, the spirituality of being close to Jesus. And one might look at him and think, why is Jesus even talking to him? Because we see in Scripture, Jesus moved toward a lot of different people. He had a lot of diff different encounters with people who were failures, so to speak, who were the rejects, who were the desperate, who were the losers of society. But this guy, he was, I mean, had it all together financially. He could have had it all together spiritually, and he missed it. He missed it. There are some things that he didn't realize he couldn't buy. And there's some things you can't buy. And the first thing you cannot buy, you cannot buy eternal life. You can't do it. He's eager to meet Jesus. We see that he runs to Jesus. We see that he kneels. He shows respect to Jesus. He runs, he kneels, and he has a question. Here's the thing. I think he's running for the wrong reasons. 
I don't think he's running because he saw Jesus and he goes, I have to get to Jesus. I need to experience Jesus and his holiness. Like I just want to bow down before him and give everything to him and go, Jesus, here's my life. What would you have me to do? Like I'll do anything. Like everything, every room in the, in my heart is open. Like I will do everything and anything just to follow you. And Jesus didn't say he couldn't follow him. In fact, that's how he ended. He said, I want you to follow me, but you need to do this. In other words, there's an idol in which you need to give up and that you need to surrender if you're going to follow me. I'll say this. The gospel message is simple. It's not hard. Some people make it harder than what it is. Sometimes people make it about, well, I have to be a good person, which we should be. I hope we, we want to be a good person. But being a good person is not enough to be right with God. The gospel is about how you're not a good person, how we have sinned against the holy God, and how we deserve death and hell, and we need a savior. We need someone to reach down and help us out of the pit and the hole in which we are in, and that man is Jesus Christ. And anyone who will bend the knee and put their faith and trust and belief in him and give up everything to follow him, you can follow him. And I'll say this, in some of our churches, we've made following Jesus just as simple as a prayer. Coming to Jesus in faith and the gospel is as simple as a prayer. But we've made it almost to like, you just pray this prayer and you just need to give up nothing. And so what we have in some of our churches, and maybe even in your case here, whether you're watching or here, your life, if you're really honest about it, is no different, no different than it was before you met Jesus. And that is a problem. And Jesus even warned about that. He said, hey man, there's going to be some who are going to face, that have come face to face with me. And they're going to go, I called you Lord. I tithed. I went to church. I did this. And he's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. And man, what, what a sad, what a sad environment that will be when many who are around the knowledge, just like this man, and yet they missed it because they weren't willing to surrender everything. Now, this might come across at first, and for those who have been here for a while, you remember, you know, they don't feel this way. You know, if God has made you wealthy, praise God. Amen? Like, if he's made you wealthy, God gave you that wealth to bless other people, to help other people. And we have people in our church that have some money. And you know what? I, and I've seen my son to other churches I've pastored who have had money. And they've, and I've noticed with people who have money, one of two things. They either have the biggest hearts or they're the biggest scrooges. There's really no in between. And we have some people with some big hearts. And I'm thankful for that. What a testimony. Why is that? They say, Jesus, I'm giving you my soul. I'm giving you my wallet. I'm giving you everything. God is all yours. And if you make me rich, then praise God. I will use it for your glory. If, if I'm poor or whatever I'm at, wherever I'm at in my life, like I'm going to use all the resources you've given me for your glory to further the gospel, to further the church. God, here I am. I'm surrendering all to you. And that's what God asks of us, to surrender it all. In this case, this man loved his money more than he did the the idea uh, of following Jesus. He didn't want to do it. And so it seems that his motivation for running, in my opinion, this is my opinion part, all right? 
I'm not adding this to scripture. It's giving you my opinion part. It's like, it's like this man is running to Jesus like he's going to get a deal on Black Friday. Like he's pushing the other people around him like he's trying to get there to get the deal. And he's like, all right, I got it. I think this is his motivation. That he can somehow buy eternal life. That he can kind of make this impression on Jesus. I'm going to impress Jesus. Listen, man. Jesus isn't impressed with any of us. But he loves us. And what Jesus, if you read scripture in Jesus, and especially just even just the gospels, and you read about Jesus, you know what Jesus is impressed with? He's impressed with those who are humble and those who have a servant's heart. And those who don't look down on somebody because they're not like them, or if they're poor, or if, if they have some you know, physical issue. Like Jesus was impressed with the people who were humble and, and were willing to serve. That's what really impresses Jesus. That's what impresses him in Scripture. So notice, notice something that's very interesting. And, and you can read different commentaries, and there's different scholars who have different views on this. In this verse 18, uh, and really the end of 17, he said, good teacher, good teacher. And Jesus was called a teacher in other places in scripture, but he calls him good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him a question. Why do you call me good? And Jesus knows he's good. Jesus knows he's God. He's proclaimed different areas that he is God. He said, hey, I and my father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus made it plain. He made it very clear that he was God. If that wasn't the case, then you got a lot of explaining to do of why the Pharisees at different times, when he would say certain things about him being equal with God or being before Abraham, uh, that, that they took up stones to try to stone him. He, he said some things that really got their attention. He says, why do you call me good? And the man doesn't ask. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't give an answer. He says, he says, only God is truly good. This tells me this. This young, rich ruler didn't really understand who was before him. He didn't really, he knew Jesus was a good teacher. He knew he was a rabbi. He knew he had people following him. He he knew he had heard about Jesus. That's why he's running to him. And so Jesus is saying, why do you call me good? And this is troubled interpreters for centuries. Jesus was probably objecting to the man's loose application, I'm reading this here for you, of the term good to any human being, since ultimate goodness and perfection belong to God alone. And so I think Jesus, I think Jesus is trying to make two points here. One, don't you realize, don't you realize, young rich ruler, who is before you? God in the flesh. And this man was calling Jesus God, whether he realized it or not. He didn't realize he was before him. Now, before we go, what a dummy. Like that guy didn't know anything, but people do it all the time. They really don't understand what's before them. The average American household has four Bibles. If you really think about it in America, it's really technically more than that because if you have a phone, you can easily go to and find a Bible and multiple translations for free. The Bible is everywhere in America. God's word to us, revealed to us, special revelation given to us. And yet, many don't read it. Many do, but many don't. They have God's word before them. 
They'll go, God, I want to hear from you. God's like, man, I already gave you like a pretty thick book right here. It's pretty thick. Read that and, you know, uh, you'll hear from me. People don't always realize what they have before them. They hear the gospel and they reject it. Some accept it. Then we'll look around and they have, as children, have been, um, you know, drugged the church, you know. You've heard that saying, like, I was drugged as a kid, drugged the church, drugged to school, drugged here, drugged there. It's good for you. It builds character, amen? The things that you learn, the things that, uh, the truths of God's word in which you learn as a child. You see, eternity is in the heart of everyone. He wondered about his eternity, the fact is, every person wonders about their eternity. Why? Because God has put eternity in the heart of every single man, woman, and child. We've seen it throughout history. Ponce de Leon found the fountain of youth in St. Augustine. Lived there in St. Augustine. You can go and you can drink from it, sit from it. And if you've tasted the water in Florida, it tastes awful. I'm actually 70, but anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but even from movies, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where they're, they're trying to find the Holy Grail, the cup Jesus and his apostles drank from at the Last Supper, and uh, the, what, at least in the movie, right? This is not in the Bible, but in the movie of where Joseph of Arimathea caught the blood of Jesus in the cup and so on and so forth. And if you know the, you've seen the movie, Indiana Jones, father gets shot, Sean Connery, and he has to get, you know, he chooses wisely the right cup and he gets the, the water and before he drinks it, realizes he needs to heal his father and it's just make believe, but it just shows us in our movies. It's, it's in our history. Um, we saw this last week. A good example, my beloved Cincinnati Bengals playing the Buffalo Bills. I'm all excited. I'm ready for the game, right? I'm watching. We're up 7-3. And then, boom, Hamlin, that cornerback, gets hit. And he falls. And I could tell right away it was very serious because not less than a couple seconds Players are waving. The trainers are waving. I'm like, what are they waving for? And it was for the ambulance. And you never, ever see an ambulance come on the field. And something that was very interesting that happened, that it went to the commentators, and they didn't know what to say. And it automatically went to, our thoughts and prayers are with this young man. Then went back to the headquarters of ESPN, and they're shocked. They don't, they don't know what to say, and their thoughts and prayers or with the young man. And ESPN's a very liberal organization owned by ABC and who else knows who they're owned by, but very liberal. And some of the Christians who were there that worked there prayed openly on ESPN. You normally would never ever see that. But it shows that such things, when we are faced with death, we think about our eternity. We think about our eternity when we go to a funeral. We think about it. Why do we think about this? Why are we trying to find eternal life? Because it's built into every one of us. You see, but you'll never find it. 
in things on this earth. You can only find it in the spiritual realm. And Jesus came like to be like us, was born like us, he lived like us, and he died on the cross voluntarily for our sin, taking our place, taking our punishment, taking our shame, so that we could have eternal life, that we could be made righteous. To the greatest things in life, you cannot buy. You cannot buy eternal life. You cannot buy kindness. You can't try. You can't buy true peace. You can't buy the fruit of the spirit. In fact, Scripture says this in Galatians chapter five. It gives uh, uh, the the fruits of the Holy Spirit here, and it says the Holy Spirit, who God gives us at salvation. Right? We're indwelled by the Spirit. There's different times of filling of the Holy Spirit, which means to be controlled by the Spirit. That's what that means. And it says, produces this kind of fruit or fruits. Fruit. It's not that you can just pick and choose what you want the Holy Spirit to grow in your life. He's growing all of this fruit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Why is there no law against these things? Because you can't buy them. No one has enough money to buy these. You can't buy them. There's no price on them. They come from the Lord. Christian 2023. Maybe you have some goals financially, and that's good. I don't want to knock your goals financially. It's good to have goals. Maybe you have some other goals. Maybe it's uh, some physical goals. You're wanting to lose weight. You're wanting to do this. You want to spend more time with your wife or your kids and this, that, and the other. Those are all wonderful goals. What about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? I want to experience this. What do I do? Surrender. Surrender and obey. And let the Lord do a work in your life. Say, preacher, I would love to have really joy in my life. Preacher, I would really like to experience peace in my life instead of all the issues I'm dealing with. And see, peace... And having peace, we tend to think that, God, if you'll take care of all these problems, I'll have peace. God, if you'll take care of all these issues, then I can have joy. And here's the thing. That's not how it works. This is, not, I know, probably another message within and of itself. That's not how it works. Jesus said he would go with us through the valleys. He would go with us through the hard times, through the trials. And as Christians, we can have joy in the middle of our trials. We can have peace in the middle of, uh, middle of a time in which we're tempted not to have peace because he is our peace. It's something the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And if we will surrender and submit to the Holy Spirit, he can do these things right here. But until you surrender, until you surrender and you give it all to the Lord and say, God, every part of me is here for you. You can do what you want. We can't experience it. You also can't buy the perfect life. There's from verse 19. It says, but to answer your question, Jesus said, you know the commandments. And Jesus mentions six of the ten commandments here. In the New Testament, Jesus mentions nine of the ten commandments. The one he didn't mention was to keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And that's the reason for that is. Jesus knew that he was going to resurrect on Sunday and the church would celebrate on Sunday and that he didn't abolish the Old Testament or the law. He fulfilled it. And that's why we celebrate on a Sunday instead of a Saturday because I think the resurrections were celebrating. Amen. Because no, there's no resurrection. Well, there's no point in even meeting. 
That's why we do it on Sunday. And so you must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And the teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. I'm good, man. He thought he was better than what he really was. It's one thing to be ignorant. But it's a dangerous thing to be ignorant and prideful. And this young, rich ruler was ignorant and prideful. And man, you have a hard time listening when you have that that deadly combo. There are people I've met every now and then that when asked, you know, have you ever sinned before? And giving them the gospel and they go, no, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't sinned. Let me explain this a little further. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's like, well, here's the Ten Commandments. You see, the Ten Commandments are not given, weren't given to us to show us, hey, if you keep these, then you can get in. Because if you break one of them, you're guilty of them all. I mean, if you honor your father and your mother. I mean, every one of us has been a time where we've lied to our parents or we didn't obey our parents. You could go on if you've lusted after somebody, if you've coveted over something, and you could go on. If you ever lied, even a, a, a simple lie, if you've uh, if you ever stole anything, great or small, I mean, you could go on. And if you've broken one, you've broken all of them. And you can go through the Ten Commandments. The point of the Ten Commandments is to show you and me that we don't measure up to God's standard and that we need help. And that's what Jesus was trying to do here with the young man. He's trying to show them, listen, you need help. And he's like, no, I'm good, Jesus. Kept them all, man. Okay, well, you just lied. So there's one. Jesus doesn't say that. That's what I would have said. I'm like, well, you little liar. Like, you know, but good thing that wasn't me. But he broke them. This is kind of the guy who would say when asked in a job interview, what is your strengths and weaknesses? His weaknesses, he would reply, my only weakness is caring too much about my strengths. That's kind of like his mentality, it seems. And this guy had the mindset that many people do. I think I'll just try to get better before I go to church. I'll clean myself up enough uh, before I give my life to Christ so I'm not too embarrassed. And listen, we can never be clean enough. We can never be cleaned enough. We can never work our way to being all that God wants us to be. Because Jesus, listen, he loves you just the way you are, but he's going to refuse to let you stay where you're at. Jesus loves you. He does. But it doesn't mean he approves of everything in which you do. Because he knows, he knows the trouble sin can get us into. And notice Jesus' reaction to this man. He doesn't judge him. He doesn't make fun of him. He gives him the truth of God's word. Notice what he does next. He says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done. Still one thing. It was an idol that was in this man's life, and Jesus knew it. And you may think, man, does Jesus really love me? Jesus has genuine love for you. See, but I've done this. I've done that. Do you know what kind of person I am? And I, I may not know, but Jesus knows. And this man right here was ignorant and prideful. And Jesus felt genuine love. He didn't judge him. 
I love what Scripture says. We know John 3.16, but John 3.17 says, God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus wants to save you. That's why he came. That's why he came. And anyone who will surrender and bend the knee and confess and make Jesus their Lord, he will save. He will save. He will change. See, you can't buy righteousness. Notice with me in verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at this man's, at this, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad for he had many possessions. I mean, he is there before Jesus. He's before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I mean, God in the flesh saying, you, 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 I I want you to follow me. I want you to do this and I want you to come follow me. I mean, what an invitation. We don't know the name of this man, but I believe if he had given up everything, so I'm going to follow you, we probably know the name of this man. He misses the deal of the century. And all the time, people go, but I would have to give up too much to follow Jesus. I would have to give up this. I would have to give up that. Listen, I want you to know something. What you give up to follow Jesus, what you give up, and what you gained far outweighs what you gained far outweighs what you ever gave up. It doesn't even come close. And Jesus knows that. And this man is holding on. And we do it all the time. Houses get old and they eventually have to be torn down. The electronics which we buy, when we're on like iPhone 20 or something like that, I mean, people waited in line for the first one and they'll wait in line for the next one and it will go obsolete and they'll get rid of that one and we'll have something new. I remember when I worked at Circuit City and I remember selling those Hitachi UltraVision TV, 65 inch, and I thought, I want one of those. I'm selling those to people and I'm like, man, I want one of those. This big, beautiful screen and big old box TV. You fast forward 15 years and they have them at the end of their driveway with uh, a sign saying free on the TV as I drove drive by and go, man, I wouldn't want to pick that up. You know, the things in which we value in the moment can easily be obsolete in the near, the near future. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished. Then who can, who in the world can be saved? They asked. And Jesus looked at them intentionally and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Righteousness can be defined as this, the condition of being acceptable to God as made possible by God. God's standard is what defines true righteousness. I want to say that again because our society, and I believe 
I expect certain things out of society. There's certain things I expect out of the church. And God's standard is what defines true righteousness. Not the media, not the world, not your family, not even the way you were raised. God does. All truth is God's truth. And God's standard is what defines righteousness. And his power is what enables it. And unless God is, is its author, we will never possess righteousness. No amount of man-made effort will result in righteousness. To be righteous is to be a right with God. A heart that is right with God results in a life that bears the fruit. And so in order to go up, in order to go up, you need to give up. You need to give up. And if you want God in your heart, you've got to give God your heart. This rich young ruler, this rich young ruler, he wouldn't trust Jesus with his soul because his wallet was his God. He was righteous, but far from God. He was religious, or excuse me, he was religious, but far from God. He was religious, but had never repented. He was religious, but he was self-righteous. Therefore, he never experienced the righteousness of God. Romans 3 tells us, For everyone has sinned, and we fall short of God's glorious standard. We fall short of what heaven requires. It's perfection. So preacher, none of us are perfect. How does anyone get into heaven then? Are there people in heaven now? Yes, there's people in heaven now. They didn't get in because they were perfect. They entered heaven by the grace of God. That Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus who freed us from the penalty of our sins. If you will humble yourself and come before him, he will save you. Repentance requires the removal of anything we place above God. And that's why this rich young ruler, he wouldn't give it up. He held on to it. Came across this in a devotional I was reading. I'm going to end with this. After the Christian fighters captured Jerusalem during the First Crusade, pilgrims from all over Western Europe began to visit the Holy Land. This was around A.D. 1100. A French knight formed an organization called the Knights Templar. Their job was to protect these pilgrims during their their visit. And when the knights were baptized by the church, they brought their swords with them. But the knights didn't take their swords under the water with them. Instead, they held their swords out of the water as they were baptized. Why? It was almost like they were saying, Jesus, you can have control of all of me except when I'm on the battlefield. All I have is yours except this sword. 
And when people get baptized today, they don't hold up a sword. But some, they hold up their wallets. They'll hold up their laptops. They'll hold up their pride. They'll hold up their egos. They'll hold up their bitterness. They'll hold on and hold up unforgiveness in their heart. They'll hold up their identity, their grudges. Only when you surrender everything that Jesus can you avoid becoming the biggest loser and let him transform you into being a winner in Christ. Some of you have prayed the prayer and you continue to live in sin. You continue to live just like you were before you met Jesus. Let me be plain, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. Today needs to be the day in which you surrender all. Is Jesus truly your Lord? You want him as your Savior, but is he truly your Lord? In other words, your master, the one in charge. So may our prayer be, Lord, I surrender all. Do something a little bit different. We normally just have a time of reflection just in our seats. But being the new year, I want to do something a little different. We're going to have us all stand in an attitude of prayer, if we would. I'm going to ask our deacons and former deacons, if you're inactive. If you want to come with your wife, that's fine. Wives can come down with you. Anyone in our church... You remember, you want to come down. I want you to come down. I want us to pray over this year. Go ahead and come on down. Maybe you're here and there's some things that you need to surrender. You want to give your life to Christ this morning. You've been holding on, trying to do things your own way, and it's time for you to surrender all. So we're going to sing a sweet old hymn called... That I've heard, I think, a thousand times growing up. Called, I Surrender All. And I think that needs to be our prayer this morning. And maybe this year. If God, I surrender all to you. Brother John's going to lead us as we're in an attitude of prayer. If you're here this morning, you want to give your life to Christ. Will you come down? I will meet you personally. I'd love to pray with you. There's more than one of you. We have some deacons down here that would love to talk with you as well. So as we're in an attitude of prayer, John's going to start singing. You want to give your life to Christ? Man, today is a perfect day to do so. Come on down. Come on down.
prayer church. Our Father, we surrender all. We're thankful that you love us, you care for us, you know every detail about us. Lord, any idol that we have in our life that's getting in the way of us serving you, from experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, pray that we'll repent of it, we'll give it to you and surrender all. Lord, be with us in 2023. May you shine your favor and light upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, church.